Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining me. Look it, this is crazy times. Very crazy. We've all lived it. We're all in this together. You've heard that saying before. But one of the things that has happened during this pandemic is, is there's an inundation of, of emails and solicitations about starting a business. If you're out of work, it's time to get a buy a franchise. It's time to start a business. Now, most people dream of entrepreneurship. They all want to own a business. I wanted to own a business. My first business was when I was age 23. It also failed when I was 23. And along the way, over the next several years, I started and failed at several businesses, mostly because I didn't have the determination, the wherewithal and the patience to try to really dig in. I was always working someplace else and decided to try to start a business on the side. Yeah, I got a few clients and made a little money, but ultimately it really wasn't all in. It wasn't until seven years later that I finally took that step and became my own boss for the, I'll call for the really first time because there was nobody else in it with me. Now, one of the things I've learned over the years is when you're thinking about starting a business, a lot of, especially in the technology world, I work with a lot of startups right now, is it's many times it's about cashing out. Now, I've heard many people say, especially in the mergers and acquisitions world or people doing brokerage, that you start a business with the end in mind. Start thinking about your exit from the very beginning. And I actually think that is wise advice. When I sold my business after 13 years, literally it was a phone call on a Monday. I think we sold it seven, eight days later. I was not thinking about selling a business. I was not prepared to sell a business. And we did a lot of scrambling. And mostly because I really wasn't educated about what I had. So I want you to think about what you want to do from a business standpoint. I have a great guest, Michelle Seiler Tucker who is the founder and president of Siler Tucker, also the author of Exit Rich, on my show today to give you some advice about what you should look for, how you should be prepared, and a lot of other great information. If you're thinking and contemplating right now, because it is crazy, the statistics are down, a lot of people are out of work, a lot of people are thinking about, is this the time to become an entrepreneur and start a business? So hang in there. We're going to give you some great advice today. Don't go away. I'll be right back after this commercial message. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. We take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans, as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzigroup.com. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Angelo. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is going to be great. There's always uh, a lot of conversation around business survival and how do they do it. And 
people, there's lots of statistics lying around out there. So we're going to kind of dig into that. And also uh, potential business strategies when it comes to mergers and acquisitions. But before we get going, why don't we take a couple minutes and, and why don't you tell the audience about you and get a little background and put things in context about uh, the rest of our conversation. Sure. So I've always, you know, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had the entrepreneur blood, I guess you could say. I wasn't your typical child. You know, most children will play with dolls and little girls, while well, little girls, girls will play with dolls and toys and things of that nature. And I just used to walk around with a notebook and I would walk up to strangers and ask them a bunch of questions. <laughs> so my mom, like my mom is always like, she's going to be the next Barbara Walter. She's going to be a reporter. She's going to be big time. <laughs> so sorry to disappoint you, mom. But at any rate, um, I've always owned small businesses. I've always like I've owned publishing companies, event businesses, uh, etc. And then I got um, caught up in corporate America where I went to, I actually got recruited by Xerox, went to work at Xerox. I was there for six months. My nickname was the closer because every time a salesperson couldn't close a deal, they would bring me in and I closed it every time. So within six months of being there, um, my supervisor came up to me and said, Michelle, you really need to interview for the regional vice president position overseeing the South and overseeing, you know, 85, 95 salespeople. She said, you'll never get it, but you should do it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why, sh why should I do something that I'm never going to get? That makes no sense. And she said, because of the learning experience, you'll learn so much going through this process than you would have ever learned doing anything else. And she was right. It was a very grueling process. It took three months. You had to demonstrate, you know, the large Xerox um, all-in-ones, the printers, the copiers, and in front of high-level executives, we had to do a presentation. I had to do Q&As with them. They had to do Q&As with me. Anyway, three months go by. I ended up getting the position, even though she told me I won it. And she told me I won it because I'd only been there for six months, and I was competing against people who had been there for years and years and years. So I ended up getting a position. And, of course, all my friends at Xerox hated me because I beat them. <laughs> yeah, imagine. And I moved into this regional vice president position. And then I wasn't selling anymore. I wasn't solving problems anymore. I wasn't coming up with solutions. I was scheduling meetings to actually have meetings to have another meeting and then to schedule a follow-up meeting on the meeting. So, and that's what corporate America does. It seems like they just have meetings after meetings. Anyway, so I, I really missed entrepreneurship um, in that year. I was at Xerox and I started looking for a business to buy or a franchise to buy. And I stumbled across a location, a franchise or I had two locations and my husband actually knew the partner and I approached him and said, look, I want to buy a franchise. I'm going to keep my six figure job with my great benefits at Xerox and operate a franchise on the side. And they said, no, we don't want you to buy a franchise. We want you to partner with us. So if you partner with us, we'll give you a franchise. I said, well, I'm not going to leave Xerox, my six figure position for a company that has two locations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're not successful. So why would I do that? I said, but what I will do is I'll try it out for six months. So I did. And, and I, you know, worked trade shows on the weekend, went to Georgia, went to Texas, went to Arizona, Louisiana, um, worked evenings, weekends, kept my six figure position. And then within six months, made more money selling franchises and being their partner then I had made an entire year at Xerox. So then it was time to leave Xerox. Um, but then they, they did what most companies do. They grew really, really, really fast. I sold hundreds of franchises for them. They grew really, really, really fast. 
and they never built a solid foundation to handle the growth. So they couldn't deliver on the goods and services. They kept over-promising and under-delivering. And I'm friends with my clients. I'm friends with my franchisees. I would go to their weddings. I was in some of their weddings. I would go to their hospital bed when they delivered their babies. I went to their birthday parties. I stayed at their house when I came into town. So I was stuck in the middle because I was taking the franchisee side. My partners are very upset with me because they think I should take their side. And anyway, I said, you know what? Enough is enough. Um, I, I want out. So you need to buy me out. So I ended up, um, they bought me out and I ended up transitioning into selling businesses, small businesses at first. Then very quickly I transitioned in selling large companies, $10 million and up. And to this date, we sell companies of 40, 50, 60, 70 and up. Um, and I also transitioned into fixing businesses because I learned very quickly that eight out of 10 companies will not sell. And according to Steve Forbes, who endorsed my book, Exit Rich, eight out of 10 businesses do not sell. So I said, gosh, if I don't fix these businesses, if I don't make some tweaks, if I don't help them grow and build a sell, then I'm not going to eat, you know, because what I do, eat what you kill. Um, so that's how I transition into buying, selling, fixing, growing companies. I buy businesses. I flip them. I also partner with business owners who I feel are a good fit for me. So I will invest my money, my core competencies, my expertise. Sometimes I bring in other partners who have different skill sets and um, we'll grow the business and we'll put it on an exit model, a build to sell program where we'll exit that business in three to five years. So at any given time, I'll own five to 10 businesses that I'm building to sell. Okay. Well, it's interesting you talk about franchise. I worked a, a lot in, in, in QSR and fast casual in, in the restaurant business and dealt with a lot of franchisees. And I know when, when I got in the early stages, you know, they had 10 locations, 11 locations. And and the growth mode was if, if they had money and they could breathe, we would sell them a franchise. <laughs> and, and and ultimately, as it as it grew, those operators were were poor operators, and then you had to start weeding them out because obviously that it was hurting the, the overall organization. The other thing you said that it was interesting and it had a flashback while you were talking. I was applying for this corporate job, and I had three months of interviews, and then the final not quite what you did, but the final was you have five minutes to tell the executive board what's wrong with the company and how you would fix it. And it was like, oh my God. And in five minutes, I'm thinking to myself, I can't even get the introduction out in five minutes. And it was amazing how much you could pack into five minutes if you really were succinct in it. And um, anyway, I got the job by the way, but it was really, really an interesting process. I had never been through something like that. And the third one, which is kind of off the mark, I ended up in a 10 hour job interview because they oh took gosh. me they they took me to uh in a, a a marketing event and they had me come to meet the people and it was 10 hours of me jockeying and and trying to show you know my knowledge and skill set and things like that and and it was interesting at the end when they did hire me she said i think for all my executives i'm going to make this standard they're going to come and they're going to live with us for a while because it really showed true colors versus that, you know, two hour lunch that you're trying to, to gauge yeah. people. So when, so what is the best business advice you've ever received? The best business advice I've ever received. That's funny. Cause I'm always the one giving the advice. <laughs> I'm going to ask you that next. <laughs> yeah. So I would say probably some of the best advice that I've been given is to, um, Definitely, definitely, definitely 
align yourself with a mentor early on, you know, get an expert who's been where you've been, who's done what you've done, not necessarily in your industry, because we can learn a lot from other industries. You know, I've been told, Michelle, you know, you don't need to just learn in the mergers and acquisitions industry. You can go take classes at Ritz-Carlton and learn from the Ritz-Carlton industry. You can go learn from Disney World and learn from that industry. So there's different nuggets and tips and strategies and techniques that you can pick up from any different industry. You don't have to just be stuck in yours because you don't want to do things the way that everybody else does it. You want to do things differently. Mm -hmm. So get outside of your industry and see what the secret sauce is in other industries and apply those to yours. The other um, great advice I've gotten was from Jeff Hoffman, who's a very good friend of mine. He's a founder of the um, airport kiosk and also one of the founders of Priceline. And he says, people are not awake. You need to be awake. You need to always be alert. Anytime you read anything, whether it's a magazine, a book, a billboard, pay attention. And that's how he founded the airport kiosk as he was standing in line for an hour and a half waiting for his boarding pass. He missed his flight. <laughs> when he finally gets up there, she hands him a piece of paper and he goes, really? I've waited an hour and a half for this? And that's what founded that. He also was looking through magazines or looking through stuff, I forget, on the internet. And I don't know, I can't remember the exact story. But he's like, oh my gosh, there's all these empty rooms. There's all these empty flights. Why don't we just take all the empty rooms and put them on the internet? And that's how he found a price line. So just really be observant, be awake. And really think about what the problem is. And don't focus on the problem. Focus on the solution. And that's advice that I give to my own clients as well. And then he had another piece of good advice um, that I try to implement in my corporation, in, in my companies, is employees. It's not always about the pay. you got to figure out what makes them tick. What's their hot buttons? Just like when you're selling somebody, right? Mm -hmm. How do you Absolutely. close a deal? You find out what's important to them. What problem are they trying to solve? What are their real wants? What do they really, really want? Same thing with employees. Find out what they really, really, really want and empower them and empower the team to get it. I'll give you a quick example. He says he, he brought it on this one gentleman and the most important thing to this gentleman was not the money he made. The most important thing was the money he could make on commissions and bonuses in which to purchase a house for his mom because his mom never had a house. Hmm. So they took a picture of a house. They put it up in the wall of the, of the office. The whole team bought into his vision and the whole team helped him achieve that dream so he could actually buy a house for his mom. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. So different stuff like that. Um, so let me ask you another question. Um, when you're thinking about your business, what, is there, what keeps you up at night thinking about growing your business? If my employees did what they were supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> did they do that? Did they sit anybody? Did they do this? Did they do that? Um, I would say, you know, we have, we have SOPs. We have policy procedure manuals. You know, I do really operate 
on um on my book exit Ridge, the book that i i read i wrote and the principles in it i really do operate my business that way um but i think what keeps me up on at night is just like oh my god i gotta do this i gotta i gotta you know i gotta sell these many books between january between now and january 26th oh i gotta get this done oh, i gotta do that um just little things like that plus i also come up with really good ideas at two three four o'clock in the morning so i just keep a notepad by my bed and I write those ideas down because I will tell you, if I don't do that, I will never remember them the next day. Yeah. Did you ever wake up in the morning and, and look at that notebook and think to yourself, what the heck was I trying to write? Sometimes. I've done that a few times. I'm pretty alert. I'll spend uh, all day trying to figure out what was I trying to write or, <laughs> or it made absolutely no sense. So, you know, as I, as I mentioned in the opening, I mean, if we think about small business. I mean, I, I look at small businesses, the lifeblood of, of the U.S. economy, and it, and I believe the latest statistic, or there's one, you know, they employ 50% of the workforce. So they're, they're very vital. So, and most small businesses face an uphill battle, uh, and so many go out of business very quickly. Uh, and, and a lot of people probably don't know that unless they've been a small business or a researching small business. But some of the numbers I've seen is, you know, 18 months will go out of business, uh, a, a wave of them will go out of business in 18 months and then five years is kind of the next benchmark and then potentially even in 10 years. And the number that I saw recently was 85% of businesses will go out in the first five years. It, and, and I want to, I want to layer that kind of pre pandemic and, and current yeah, pre pandemic and current pandemic. Cause I think that those numbers are going to really change drastically, but in your experience, what is the most common reason or i'll call it maybe a misjudgment that the leadership of these small businesses make that create the uh, an opportunity for failure sure and I, i'm going to answer that question but i want to kind of speak to what you just said because the business landscape has changed and i agree with you when i wrote my first book sell your business for more than it's worth in 2013 i did the research and it's true 85 to 95 percent of all startups who have been in business one to five years will fail 98% of business ideas never make it out of the incubator. But the ones that do, that start, will fail. However, the business landscape has changed dramatically, and most people don't know this. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, I did the same research again. Now, there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States, employing over half our U.S. workforce, like you just said. But here's the difference now. The business landscape has flipped. The startups, and I have the research, I did it over and over and over again because I didn't believe the research. <laughs> and Sharon Lecter, my co-author, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki, she didn't believe the research either. So we kept doing the research, and it's true. Now it's only 30% of those businesses that been, that's, that been in business one to five years, those startups will fail. Only 30% now. That has changed dramatically. But listen to this statistic. Out of 27.6 million companies, 27.6 million and some change, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of those businesses will go out of business. 70% are at risk wow. of going out of business. That is huge. It's a huge shift. Now, you've heard of the public stores. You've heard of Toys R Us go out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Montgomery Ward, JCPenney's, uh, Pier 1. GNC is closing down 900 locations. Even Starbucks is in, in trouble. And this is before COVID, by the way. What you're not hearing are about all the small businesses 
that are private companies, private companies, and I'm saying not even small. I mean, I've seen $5 million, $10 million, $20 million companies go out of business. The private companies on every street corner in every town and every state across our great nation that are dropping like flies. And these business owners are going to be forced into selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. And when you file bankruptcy as a business owner, guess what? You don't just lose your business assets because most business owners will take the time to set up a corporate structure, but then guess what they do? They pierce the corporate veil. Yeah, absolutely. Because they commingle assets or they take out personal guarantee or they take out a loan against their home for their business. And that's piercing the corporate veil and they'll go after your personal assets too. So this has changed dramatically before COVID. Okay. That's the difference. Now, if we don't save small business, our economy is going to tank <laughs> because when it employs over half the workforce and we lose jobs, we lose spending power, right? And when you lose spending power, it's a triple down effect. Retail closes, restaurants close, you know, all those businesses that, that depend upon the discretionary spending mm -hmm. end up closing. So we really got to, you know, join forces together and try to save small businesses. And that's my mission. That's my passion. But think, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, do you think some of the problems with with that? Because you talked about the, the the corporate veil being pierced. Do you think a lot of small businesses when they're making choices earlier on when it comes to the legal protection, they they kind of say, ah, I don't need that right now and kind of push it aside. And so they're not getting the, the legal advice they need to pay attention to early on and they start immediately making Absolutely. mistakes. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, trying to save money so they don't get the legal advice that they need. They make a lot of mistakes with the corporate structure. They make a lot of mistakes with not protecting their IP, their intellectual property. Um, but the biggest mistakes they make is commingling stuff. <laughs> it's commingling their assets. That's the biggest mistake. But to answer your question, why are these small businesses failing? And um, I have lots of reasons for that. But first and foremost, I, I, I always say, because businesses have been in business over 10 years, stop AIM. AIM is always innovate and market. They stop innovating. They stop marketing. They stop asking their clients, what do you need? Mm -hmm. What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? And guess what? The company that makes it the easiest for the consumers to buy their, their products and services is the company that's going to win. Well, exactly. And, and those that continue to deliver on that is interesting. I don't mean to interrupt, but I did a survey among CEOs here in Orange County, California. And one of the things I asked them is, you know, would your clients recommend you? The answer was yes. I said, would your, do your clients know all the products and services that you sell? And it was like 98% said no. I said, so, <laughs> So you're selling one product, one service, you stop there, yet you have this plethora of, of services and products you could continue to sell without even pursuing new acquisitions, just sell more to the people you're already selling to. And so it's amazing how many people don't dig into their clients. To your point, I'm a, my mantra has been for years, know your customer and really get intimate with them because you're building relationships. Yeah, and McDonald's does a very good job of that. It's called supersize. <laughs> you know, they upsell, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, would you like a large diet Coke with that? Would you like fries with that order? Would you like this with that? Oh, do you want an apple pie? Oh, I didn't know McDonald's had apple pies. <laughs> so McDonald's does a really good job at that. But, you know, I go back to the Amazon story. Amazon really changed the way 
that that consumers purchase products and services. Amazon makes it so easy to do business with them that consumers sort of thinking, why why go fight the why go to the mall? Why go fight traffic? You know, when I could go to the park with my kids, or I could mm-hmm. go to a football game, or I could do this, or I could do that. It frees up all this time that I didn't have before, and now I can practically order anything I want and get it shipped to me in two days on Amazon. Well, we're seeing a lot of that now with the Black Friday and, you know, the the malls were sort of empty and people weren't going out. They were going out, but not certainly in the droves that they did and ordering online. So, you know, the the Amazon and, and certainly now Target and Walmart and, you know. Well, and that's Friday. because of COVID. That's because of COVID. So Amazon was already changing the way that, that, that consumers buy products and services. But COVID changed the way that consumers buy groceries <laughs> because now they're like, why do I want to go to a grocery store when I could get COVID? Why do I want to go to a pharmacy? So now you can, because Amazon bought Whole Foods and you can buy all your groceries online. Well, Walmart just introduced their Walmart club mm-hmm. and you can buy their groceries online and ship them directly to you. So business is never going to be the same again. So business owners really, really, really have to ask themselves, what business am I in and what business what business am I in? What do I do really well? And what business should I be in? Right. Well, you know, we talk about, you know, in general, disruption and disruptors. We think of Uber and things like that. I mean, the pandemic ha- is a major disruptor. And I have found uh, from a marketing standpoint early on, uh, and I've seen this in, I'll call it other recessions, but pe- businesses start chopping their marketing budgets. You mentioned earlier, they stop marketing, which is a huge mistake. I've written a lot of articles on uh, case studies on why that they shouldn't do all that. But the, a lot of them have been kind of waiting for the path to get clear. And that's also a mistake because those that are not waiting are going to be much farther ahead when we come out of this yep. pandemic and recession times and, and things slip around. So a lot of businesses are, are really putting themselves at risk by not keeping up the pace of, of marketing. Either yeah, they stop innovating and they stop marketing. And that's one of the things I talk about is, well, if you have to cut costs because of COVID, the one thing you don't cost, you don't cut is marketing. In fact, you should double down on marketing. Yeah. That's yeah. the one thing you never cut. So I'm going to play that clip over and over and over again. <laughs> don't cut back on marketing. Now you should double down. I mean, you know, and, and, Maybe, you know, look at your marketing and look at, because I always tell my clients and even myself, don't just use one or two marketing vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. You need several. So, you know, you need several. So you need to ask yourself, what do you do? We we do like 10 different things and we do them consistently. So we have 10 different marketing funnels bringing in business for us. And every, every business owner should do that. There was a, an article, and I think it was maybe 2013 um, that I read, and it, it talked about um, the five reasons why eight out of every new businesses fail. And there were kind of five points. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read those points, and I'll have you comment on those because I found them I found them really interesting. When I when I read them, I went, yeah, you know, a little slap on my head because duh, of course. But I think they're really important. And the first one was. The reason that it, it, businesses are, are not really in touch with their customers. Mm-hmm. And Which I, is what we already said. Yeah. And I find, you know, part of my background is market research. And, and sometimes it's like pulling teeth to try to get people to go out and, and talk to their customers. I had a client 
that I was doing some uh, uh, qualitative work with and I was interviewing their customers trying to understand what it's like to work with them and all that. And, and what I heard back was, Hey, when we have a problem, we call Becky and, and she's, she's on it. We love her solves all our problems. And I said, well, what about management? When's the last time you spoke to you know leadership in the company? And they said, well, year, year and a half. As a matter of fact, you're the first person we've talked to. And I was a consultant. So they were really out of touch. Mm-hmm. And, and when I reported back, I said, you guys got some problems. And they, and they were resistant to, to listen that I had no stake in the ground. I, I was giving them the honest truth. You got problems and you better go take care of this. And sure enough, they waited. And in and and those particular companies, the problem came up. And then they were scrambling. So I think constantly keeping in touch. The, the point number two that they had was no real differentiation. And, and that is another thing I really focus on is how do you truly differentiate your product or your service from the competition and, and also be relevant within the marketplace? So when you're doing investigations on acquiring businesses or helping to, to build businesses, how important is differentiation to you? I, I think it's very important. Um, it's important in all the companies that I own and I built to sell, plus my own company, plus my clients. And, you know, I always tell my client, ask my clients, you know, what is your USP, your unique selling proposition? What makes you different? And why would a consumer do business with you over somebody else? Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's hugely important, especially if you're in a very competitive space. You know, I'm not in that big, that much of a competitive space. M&A is not that competitive, believe it or not. Um, but when you're in a very competitive space, I think it's extremely important to set yourself apart and make that crystal clear to your clients what makes you different. Do you and find why, it, why it benefits them? Because yeah. you know, customers don't care unless there's something in it for them. <laughs> well, and that's one of my first questions when you're differentiating yourselves is what what is the value that your client realizes, because that's important. Not what you think you're offering, but what do they really take away? And I find so many times that I get these lists back. You know, we have great people. We've been in business 25 years. Those are our points of differentiation. And I, and I push back that BS because your competitors have been in business almost as long and, and you have good people and they have good people. So how do you differentiate on that? Do you find a lot of times when you're going through this process, the companies really don't understand what their unique selling proposition is. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's important when you're looking at selling your business um, to identify and I call them the six P's. Uh, You have your five points. I have the six P's, but I call them the six P's when I take my clients through a business evaluation. And when I look at their business to help them to build to sell it, because I know what buyers are going to look at as far as these six P's. And, um, you know, some of it has to do with how long you've been in business, how well branded you are. But there are unique things that won't just catapult your business to the next level, but it will also make your business sell for much higher multiple. And one of those P's is proprietary. Uh, so if, if a company is very well branded, then that company, as long as the brand is relevant in the consumer's mind, then they will sell for a lot more money. It's like, who do you th- who who's the biggest brand of all in the world? Would you say? Oh, it's got to be Apple. Apple, three hundred eighty-nine billion dollars just for the Apple brand. That's not EBITDA. That's not assets, real estate, anything. That's just the brand. So there are USPs that clients need to work on. Like we're selling a seventy million dollar agriculture company. 
and they've got huge contracts and they have trademarks and some really sophisticated technology that helps them to have that cutting edge and growing produce <laughs> mm -hmm. and that's their USP. But I had to help them identify that because they didn't really know what that was in the beginning. Yeah. And I, they stumbled, but they kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. I mean, it's, it's they don't understand what that what that USP is and those real differentiators and how to leverage those differentiators in the marketplace and how those differentiators equate to potential revenue. If you own something that's that's proprietary and it's rare in the marketplace and difficult to imitate, you've got something very powerful that you can yeah. leverage as a revenue. And you've got something very powerful that buyers are going to be willing to outbid everybody else for and pay top dollar when it times when it comes time to sell your company. Mm hmm. I, I want to um, I want to come back to your six P's because I want to talk about your book in a second. But I want to go back and finish. So and we can comment or not. But the, the third reason was failure to communicate your value proposition, which we we're just talking about, was another reason that businesses fail. Leadership uh, top down. So many times, you know, we talk about culture and in implementing programs. I'm a big believer in internal marketing, making sure employees feel they're part of the business. You said it earlier. There's, it's more than just a paycheck, mm -hmm. right? We, you can get a paycheck almost anywhere, but if you don't feel part of the company, you don't feel like you're contributing, you don't feel like you're offering value. And so I always talk about making sure that employees understand that their role and what they do and how it contributes to the bigger vision. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's really important. And another one is the inability to net. If you're as a owner or not a good leader, you need to get one. <laughs> focus on your strengths and higher weaknesses because a lot of entrepreneurs are not the best managers or not the best at dealing with employees or not the best leaders. They might be good at leading different things, but when it comes to leading employees, they're not always the best. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In fact, many of them are terrible at it. <laughs> so you need that, you need that liaison. You need an integrator. You need to make sure that you focus on your strengths and higher weaknesses. Yeah. And in, in the in the last of the five was finding the right business model mm. that generates the right revenue. And I think so many times earlier on, and I deal when I deal with startups, we're always talking about you know the the, the business model, the pricing structures, how do we do that, commissions, and all of that. And and I think a lot of companies, to your point, they might have been a technologist that created a great product, but they're not a business person and need to hire the the appropriate people consultants or whatever to to help them yeah because yeah, most inventors are not good business people just like you know most doctors are not good business people most dentists are not good business people so you really do need to hire out your strengths because you know they're the visionaries but you got to have a good integrator mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so let's talk about your book and it's, sure. and it's called exit rich it's and called exit rich much better than exiting poor <laughs> there you go so what's that old joke how do you <laughs> I did build a small fortune in, in cattle ranching and start with a big one. Um, <laughs> so you just mentioned it, it, the six P's and as your kind of method for, for selling your business. And, uh -huh. and those are people, product, process, proprietary, patrons, and profits. So let's just pick a couple and let's talk about, you've, done you've already talked about proprietary. <laughs> yeah. What's that? You've done your homework. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. So proprietary is really the highest value driver of them all. Because the more you have in proprietary, 
the higher multiple I can get for your company, typically the higher, the more buyers I can bring to you and I can create a bidding war. So there are six pillars to proprietary. Number one is branding. How well branded are you? Because the more well branded you are, the more we're going to get for your business as long as your business is still relevant. You know, Blockbuster was very well branded. But Blockbuster saw Netflix, they saw the writing on the wall, and they did nothing to innovate, nothing to create. They kept doing business as usual. They didn't do anything different. Now, Blockbuster is a dying brand. It's not worth anything. Did, so you, know that, that Blockbuster, did you know that Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix earlier on? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And same thing with Toys R Us. Toys R Us went out of business because Toys R Us never changed their business model in 60 years. In 60 years, they did the same thing. They never really innovated and they went out of business. So that brand's not worth very much. But Apple is worth $389 billion. Coca-Cola is worth over $89 billion. That's just a brand. That's not anything else. The other most, one of the other most important things in proprietary, and this is what most business owners fail to do. When they go out and start a business, they go out and get, they're starting business in California. They go register with the state of California. They don't do a trademark. They don't do a trademark search to make sure that name's available, and they don't spend the fifteen hundred dollars to get a trademark, a federal trademark. So they're in business 10, 15, 20 years, and all of a sudden, boom, they get a cease and desist letter because somebody just started a company under that name. And guess what? You never got a federal trademark, so you did not protect your proprietary. And business owners will spend thousands upon thousands of dollars. I had one business owner spend over a hundred thousand dollars trying to defend this and lost. Mm -hmm. And lost and ended up having to change the company name. So federal trademarks are worth something. Uh, brand, the branding is worth something. The longer you've been in business, that adds value. Trademarks add value. Patents add value. We once sold a company for $18 million that had 18 patents. The other big thing that, that customers, I mean, buyers will pay for are contracts, vendor contracts, manufacturing contracts, mm -hmm. distribution contracts. Most valuable contract of all or client contracts, because that's revenue in the company, right? As long as, here's a caveat, as long as those contracts are transferable. I will tell you, 99.9% .9 of business owners never have the transferability clause in their contracts. 99.9% .9 of all deals are asset sales. So if the contracts are not transferable, the deal typically will fall apart. Yeah, that, you know, that's interesting. And and I've, I've had other folks on the show and, and certainly in the realm of doing marketing and, and talking about, you know, the importance of the brand itself and not necessarily the company or the products or services, but what the brand is worth. But we get into contracts and, and I don't think a lot of companies realize the value of those contracts yeah. and how they're written, right? They're, right. they're kind of a little loosey-goosey, I'll say, and, and, and to your point, whether they're transferable. And I would think this goes back to kind of the next segment that I wanted to get into is about, uh, I think it was one of your articles, you talked about creating your exit strategy when you begin. And, mm -hmm. and really that's laying that foundation to understanding earlier on those steps that really need to be taken care of to protect yourself in that five or 10 years from now to make your business valuable. Right. And, and we talk about that in exit, which is called the STGPS exit model. I will tell you the other biggest mistake and we never really finished the P, proprietary, but that's okay. <laughs> but the other biggest mistake that business owners make is they don't plan 
their exit and eight out of 10 companies will not sell. The number reason, the number one reason they will not sell is because they're not going to sell for the value that the owner needs to exit their business. So business owners will come to me and say, Michelle, I need $10 million. Okay. How did you come up with that number? That's what I need to retire on. Uh, that's what I need to pay for five girls weddings. <laughs> that's what I need for this or this or this. And the buyer doesn't care what you need. The buyer cares what the value is. So most businesses don't sell because the business was never planned for that exit. So all business owners should plan their exit from day one of starting a business or buying a business. And it's pretty simple. It's just like a GPS. Now I say it's simple, but you got to reverse engineer it. You got to determine what's my end game. Meaning what is my sales price? What do I want to sell the business for? You got to have a go. If you want to sell it for 15 million, say, okay, I want to sell my business for 15 million. Then what do you need? Then what does the GPS need to know? It knows your destination. Now it needs to know your current location. Where are you starting from? What is your business worth right now? And you'd be surprised, Angelo, how many business owners never, ever get a business valuation. We get a health checkup on our body. We get a car checkup, but we never get a business checkup. So you need to know where you're starting from and what your end game is. Then you need to determine, okay, well, if I want to sell for $15 million and I'm currently um, worth $5 million, what's your time frame? You need to know time frame. Okay, I want to sell for five years. Great. Who's your buyer? Who's your buyers? What type of buyers? There's five mm -hmm. types of buyers. So let's say that you're in, um, let's say that you're in distribution. Who buys distribution companies at $15 million? Well, you can rule out first-time buyers because they're not going to afford that. And you can rule out turnaround specialists. So that leaves you private equity groups, strategic slash competitors, and serial entrepreneurs will look at a $15 million distribution company. But then you have to ask yourself, what's their buying criteria? Where's the gross revenues have to be? Where's the EBITDA have to be? Private equity groups only buy on platforms and add-ons. And if they're going to buy a platform and enter the distribution space and they're not in it now, they won't buy anything less than $3 million in EBITDA. So you really need to know your buyer's criteria as it relates to the financials and as it relates to what I call the six Ps. And okay. then you need to know your why, because you know as well as I do, businesses fail every day. And it's very, it's not easy to, to stay in business and to exit a business for $15 million. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So you have to have a powerful why to keep you in the game because we're going to have lots of financial storms <laughs> occur, right? We're going to have lots of external and internal catastrophic events occur. So you need well, a powerful why to keep you in the game. Right. I like your GPS um, analogy or the, your model that you have because it really does make sense. And so many times businesses get lost along the way. They start... I call it chasing the shiny penny, right? They they see something that looks like it could be an opportunity. They deviate. They're not focused on doing the things they need to do ultimately because they probably don't know their destination, right? They, they they know what they would like to do, but a lot of businesses, I think, don't go into it. I, I, my, my business, was, so when I had my, my advertising agency, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I could sell it. I, I just never thought, right? Because it was people and clients come and go and and, and 13 years into it, one day, I, long story short, I got a phone call and next thing you know, we were selling it. And But I never prepared for it. And, and you know, I've learned a, a strong lesson about if I had thought that way and was had more clear, I might have created more branded programs and products, things that I do now. Um, not that I'm looking to sell, but, but 
but I would have had that vision. And I think a lot of companies get lost. Their GPS isn't quite working. I, I, I like that <laughs> analogy. I really do. Um, cause it, it makes a lot of sense. They might wander around a whole lot of, it's a long path. We know it's a lot of ups and downs, twists and turns. And yeah. And, here, not, and here's the deal. A lot of times they're like you, they think, well, I'm never going to sell my business cause I love it so much. You can't think that way. If you build your business to sell for maximum value and you never sell, because you choose not to sell, that's okay. Because what you did is you built a great business that's sustainable and scalable and profitable. So you built a much more better business. It's not going to go out of business. Mm -hmm. So you can't fail doing this, (laughs) but you will fail not doing this. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah, this is, uh, I, 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 I enjoyed this. And um, I want to go back to the, the six P's before we're, we're actually coming up. We've got about five minutes left, give sure. or take. And then we'll um, tell people how they can get the book. Yeah, we will do that. But is there anything else? I mean, I think when you're talking about your six P's, people, product, process, proprietor, we talked about patrons. I assume we're talking about uh, customers, people, or internal people. Yeah, so let's talk about people real quick. So you don't, you know, here one of the biggest problems in businesses is they don't have the right people. They don't have people. The business is dependent upon the owner. Like I have a dentist is trying to sell. He is the business. You take that dentist out of the business, there is no business. So you have to have the right people in the right seats. And a lot of companies have the right people, but in the wrong seats. And if you're a sole practitioner, if you're a dentist or a chiropractor or MD, or something like that, you're going to have to hire associates. Otherwise, you'll never be able to sell your business. So you got to ask yourself, do you have the right people in the right seats? Number one. And number two, who in your business? Who in your business opens the business? Who deals with customer service issues? Who deals with environmental issues? Who deals with accounting? Who deals with legal disputes? Who deals with um, um, intellectual property disputes? Who, who, who? The secret to who is your name. You should never be the one next to who. (laughs) You should never put your name next to the who. You know, so you should always have an employee's name or an independent contractor or a vendor next to the who. Like I have an outside accountant. That's my who handles all of my accounting. I have three accountants. Okay, so your name should never be next to the who. That's the secret about growing a really sustainable, um, scalable and sellable business. And then you want to make sure you have a management team in place. Then the second P is product. This is why businesses fail. You have to ask yourself, is your industry thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or a Blockbuster? And if you have a Blockbuster, we skipped over this earlier, but let me tell you something. This is a transformational question that can change your business and catapult you to the next level. What business are you in? What's your core competencies and what business should you be in? I'll give you a really quick example. Amazon. They started in what? Books. Books. They asked themselves, what business are we in? They said books. They asked themselves, what do we do really, really, really well? We do fulfillment really, really, really well. Like we're the best at it. What business should we be in? We shouldn't be in just a book business. We should be in a fulfillment business and carry everybody's products. That's what catapulted them into a multi-billion dollar brand that they are today. So that's transformational versus transactional. Like you said, business owners get stuck. And when you're in your fog, it's foggy. You need to start becoming more transformational. And then the third P is processes. And you probably know this as a business consultant. Most business owners never really think about processes until they have to because customer service issues, because the process was never designed with the customer service experience in mind. 
or they had a catastrophic event in a manufacturing plant because they didn't design their processes around ensuring safety. So you always should design your processes from the beginning, tweak them as you go, but they should align with your mission statement. They should align with your customer or your client objective. McDonald's, who started in the 40s, McDonald's restaurant, not mm -hmm. Ray Kroc, McDonald's, their mission statement was, we want to provide fast, great tasting food under two minutes or less because everybody else had the drive-ins where you would come out on roller skates and serve the food. It was always late. It was always cold. It tasted terrible and it took forever. McDonald's went to an empty tennis court, took all their employees, drew out the entire process, erased it, started again, erased it, started again. They said, we need to deliver fast quality food, two minutes or less. Who takes the order? Who, who toasts the buns? Who cooks the burgers? Who puts the pickles on the buns? And who delivers it to the client in two minutes or less? That one process right there is still standard in McDonald's today. So no matter what McDonald's you go to anywhere around the world, the experience is the same. So the processes should be productive, efficient, and designed with the customer experience in mind. So you need to know what's my mission, what's my client objective, what am I trying to accomplish? A lot of processes do the opposite. They alienate customers. They don't impress clients. So you want to deliver that wow experience for your clients. And the proprietor, we've already talked about patrons is making sure you have a diverse customer base. And if you've been in business 20, 30, 40, 50 years, your clients might be aging out. So you got to replace that. If you got customer concentration, you need to diversify. And then the last one is profits. And the reason I put profits last is because profits is never the problem. Never, never, never. It's always a symptom of not having the right people in place, not being in the right, not having the right product, not having the right processes that are productive and efficient, not protecting your IP or intellectual property, not having customer diversification. Profits is never the problem. Always a symptom. I, and I, I, it's true. It's true. So I ran through this really quick. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that because we because and hopefully it's a teaser to get people to buy your book. I have one last uh, uh, question before we we give that plug. What inspires you? What what gets you out of bed every day? What's what's that? What inspires you to do what you do? Yeah, so I think you know what inspires me is just I've always been. I was like this as a child. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss out on anything. I've always, I've always wanted to do more, be more, create more, help more people, you know, be the best version of me that I can possibly be. I think life is short. I think we go around once and why waste it? Why waste it? You know, so for me, my passion, my mission, uh, what gets me excited is just entrepreneurship. I'm a kid in a candy store. I love to find out how this kid with an eighth grade education created a $70 million company out of their truck mm -hmm. <laughs> and then help them sell their exit. So for me, it's just always overachieving and, you know, giving, providing maximum value and um, making a difference in somebody else's life. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. So Michelle, how can uh, the listeners contact you? Where can they purchase your book? Sure. All that good stuff. So we'll start with the book. So right now we're in pre-sale mode. So we have a great value that we created that anyone pre-buys pre the book right now for $24.79, which includes shipping, 
Either way, you can buy it at Amazon or Hudson or anywhere else, but it's more expensive plus shipping. So if you go to ExitRichBook.com, ExitRichBook.com, you can get the book for $24.79, which includes shipping. You will get the immediate digital download today. You don't have to wait till the book comes out. Then you will get a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club, where you will not only get video training of me doing deep dives and asking you transformational questions, you will also get digital downloads. So if you've never seen an employee handbook before or a sample due diligence checklist or a sample LOI, letter of intent, or sample purchase agreement or closing docs, all the documents you need are in Exit Rich Book, Book Club. Then they will also receive a 30-day membership into Club CEOs, which I founded for entrepreneurs, where we do hot seats. We ask those transformational questions. We do masterminds. And they'll receive a 30-day membership there. Plus, when a book comes out in January, we ship it to their doorstep. That sounds like a great value. It is. Like I said, include shipping. And it makes a great Christmas present, too. (laughs) So. So, so our listeners, uh, when you when you see this online, well, uh, Michelle, why don't you send me a link so we can I can put it right in the notes and, and people can just know where to click when we do all that. Okay. And and I assume you know in your websites and your your LinkedIn in general, they can find you there. Yes. Well, let me give you this number. Text Michelle. Text Michelle to eight 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 three six one zero zero six six. And all of my connections pop up there. All of my uh, social media, my websites, everything pops up right there. Okay, fantastic. And again, send me that and I'll include those in the notes. I want to thank you. This has been a, a terrific conversation. Um, I, I, I think we could keep going quite a bit. I want to thank you for, for joining me today. It's been fantastic. And I want to thank you listeners for joining me as well. If for your business needs a CMO or senior level marketing leadership, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me to find out more about my factional interim or consulting marketing services or visit theponzigroup.com to find a variety of resources, blogs, videos, eBooks, and certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, if you're a subscriber to the show, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you are not a subscriber, I encourage you to do so. And if you are a subscriber, I encourage you to tell others about the show so they can benefit from this great content like we heard today with Michelle. You can find out more at thebusinessgrowthcafe.com or you can subscribe on any podcast platform literally around the world. And don't forget to join me next week here at the Business Growth Cafe. And Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.